You may have comforted yourself into silence from sharing the gospel with people with the reason that evangelism is not your gift. You leave that work to those more polished and powerful in their communication skills. But what if the gospel was a simple thing to be understood and its power was in hearing it stated in a most simple manner? What would your excuse be then? Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry or our fellowship here in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. When Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, he's revealing a truth that pegs every Christian with the potential for vast fruitfulness in the gospel. Its power is in itself. All we have to do is proclaim it. It was in 1998 that I traveled to Cali, Colombia, had an opportunity to go with a missionary that was there by the name of David Overmeyer. We'd spent a lot of times visiting with people in different locations. We went to a penthouse, and it was the home of a, an executive for Colgate. It was a pretty expensive place that looked over the city. It was at night. We were waiting for him to arrive, but his lovely young wife, bride, was there, and I was trying to delay and kind of hold things out until the husband showed up so we could engage in a conversation. I anticipated that it would go on for some time, and she said to me, as soon as we had calmed down and been greeted and been seated down, she goes, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what's going on in my life, but I can tell you this. I'm searching for God I'm searching for him, but I just can't find him. That was my turn to respond. And I said, well, dear lady, I have news for you. The truth is, the Bible says that no one seeks after God. No one searches for them. There may be a desire in you, an impulse in you to find some sense of peace or some sense of meaning in your life. But basically, deep down inside, we're rebels against God. We've turned against God. We've fled from God. We are in our sins, and as a result, we're alienated from God, and we seek to find answers to the meaninglessness of our life and the lack of righteousness that we know resides within us in our own way and by our own inventions, and that's our true situation. We are not searching for God. We're not. Now, God's Spirit may be prompting you and pushing Him toward yourself, but it's God who's doing that because the Bible says that the Spirit is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. But here's the good news. Although you are not searching for God, God is searching for you. God is not lost, but you are. And God is searching for you and seeking for you. And that's why Jesus has come into the earth. This was God come in the flesh. And Jesus declared that he'd come to seek and to save those who are lost. He's searching for you. And he's searching for you in order that in finding you might bring you his salvation. And his salvation for you was accomplished when he lived the righteous life you cannot live. And he died the death you don't want to die. He suffered the punishment for your sins. And he rose again from the grave demonstrating that his payment for your sins was complete and enough for you. And if you recognize he's looking for you and you'll turn from your sins and your own self-pursuits. And you'll turn to him and you'll believe and trust in him. Today, you can be forgiven. You can be completely forgiven. Oh, she answered, then please tell me. Please explain to me more clearly how it is that I may help God find me. <laughs> you just turn around. You just turn around to the Lord Jesus and recognize all he's done, and you believe and trust in him completely. And so there in that home, 
she prayed to give her life to the Lord Jesus. This was a wonderful moment. This was an expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we want to do. This is what Paul wanted to do when he came to Rome. He wanted to bring the gospel to the believers that were in Rome so that they might flourish in all the benefits of that gospel. And then with them, he wanted to take them to take that gospel to others who had not heard it and not had that gospel declared for them. So he says in verse 15 of Romans chapter 1, I am ready, I am ready, I am prepared to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He knows that if he can lead them to flourish in that gospel, that he will work with them to bring the gospel to other individuals and nothing will cause you to flourish even more in the gospel than sharing it with somebody else than bringing it to somebody else. And so this was his great desire, this was his great design, and Paul now says that his readiness to preach the gospel in verse 16 is a reflection of the fact that he is proud of the gospel. He has overcome the temptation that may have been there and that is there in so many individuals to be ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He is boasting in the gospel. He is proud of the gospel. And this boast in the gospel and this great pride in the gospel is rooted in his knowledge of its power. He knows the power of the gospel by way of the tremendous change that it brought into his own life. It's the same way in which you might know the power of the gospel. It's not to be known simply because you read the treatises and the theological points that God reveals to us. But when you read those truths and you hear those truths, for the person who is not a believer, they're reading what can be done for them, what God can do for them. But for the believer, they're reading what God has done for them and what by faith they're to live in and embrace. They're also reading a confirmation of an experience that they've had in Jesus Christ. They're reading an explanation for the joy and the release and the unburdening that they experienced in the moment and the hour in which they turned to the Lord Jesus and trusted and believed in Him. And in that moment, like Paul, they receive a rebirth and they receive reconciliation and they receive redemption and they, above all, receive a righteousness that they did not produce, but that God produced and worked in them by His own power becomes a moment in which you know that you're forgiven. Just the other day, someone was sharing with me a testimony. It was a testimony of a Muslim jihadist who had spent his life learning to hate and teaching others to hate and to kill. He was a part of a jihadist group that trained individuals to be suicide bombers in their own homes and in their own households if they found that those in the household were not militant enough and committed enough to Allah. One day, though, he refused to follow the commands of his jihadist leader to put to death two other Muslim individuals because he saw these Muslim individuals crying out to Allah for mercy. He thought, we can't, we can't kill them. They're crying out to Allah for mercy. But the jihadist leader insisted he wouldn't do it. The two men were dispatched anyway, but now he became a target for being dispatched as well. And so he had to flee for his life. He fled from Iraq where he lived and he fled to Iran. And there he eventually enrolled in a school studying art of all things. And in the art school, he saw a work of art in which written in Arabic was the phrase, God is love. And he couldn't understand that this was a concept he had never heard before. God is love. And so he, he asked one of the students, where did this message, what does this mean? And the student said that that was from actually the New Testament or from the Christian Bible. And it was a declaration that was found in their Bible or their holy books. And 
Then he asked if he could get his hand on one of those books, and so he was able to acquire a Bible, and he began to read it, and he began to read the Gospels over again and again. And as he read the words of the Gospels, he knew, he knew that what he was reading was the truth. Through that, he was wonderfully brought to complete faith in Jesus Christ, and his life immediately changed. He immediately had birth within him a love for all people, something that he had not known before. He began to search out for somebody who would baptize him, and nobody would because everybody was fearful of him and afraid to baptize him. Finally, he found one Catholic priest that agreed to baptize him. That was good enough for him because he was baptized by that individual. Now today, he's a fearless evangelist preaching the gospel of those who sought his death. Now that's an example of knowing the gospel and the power of the gospel by experience. Interestingly enough, that testimony of that man is, it mirrors to a large extent the testimony of Paul, does it not? A man who was trying to prove his religious commitment to God with hatred and persecution and met God and was transformed by God and had birthed in him a love for all people that he had never known prior to that moment. We're going to make some observations more about this power of the gospel. And the first observation I want to make here is this very statement, the gospel is the power of God. Paul says this. He doesn't say that the gospel contains information that accesses the power of God or that through the gospel you're brought to principles that release God's power in your life. Paul says the gospel itself, the message itself is the power of God unto salvation. That just as God spoke and his words brought out of nothing life in creating all things, the spoken, expressed word of the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals or relays the power of God in such a way that it brings forth a creative act. It brings forth a revelatory act that changes lives and transforms them. It's the power that comes to those who hear it and believe it, and it's released in their life. It's the power that actually comes to people who don't believe it, but in hearing it, they believe it. The power of God is released upon them, moving them from unbelief to belief. There's an application for us right here, right off the bat, and it's a very encouraging application. It's this. This means you don't have to become a great apologist or a great communicator who knows how to maneuver people by your influences and by your great arguments to belief in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. You can read any number of books or how-to books on evangelism, and if you read them, you'll find out that oftentimes they're treatises on the personality of the author of the book. The author is telling you how to share the gospel in the way that he shares the gospel because it comports with his personality and his nature and the way he is. And here's how you ought to do it. And oftentimes when you read those books, instead of being emboldened, you just feel like, man, I am not like this person. I can't do it. This is far from me. Well, here's the good news. The power of evangelism to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel is not found in a strategy it's not found in the personal gifting of any individual. It is found in the gospel itself. It means that all your well-thought-out and crafted use of appealing and acceptable terminology to somehow curry favor from those you're talking to is not essential for the power of the gospel. It means all of your clanging and banging and harsh words that you say trying to confront them and battle them and knock them down is not essential for the receiving and understanding the Gospels. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 2 that he didn't come to people with persuasive words of human wisdom, but that he came to them with the word of the Gospel alone. It means that you can actually be quite 
pathetic in your appearance, quite pathetic in your presentation, and that as long as you tell someone the clear good news of the gospel, it still has great power to change their lives. Paul said that when he came to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again, that he came among them with fear and trembling. It's not necessarily the picture of a person who's bearing great, powerful influence. There's an apocryphal account that was written about 100 years or 120 years after the life of Paul that is giving us a picture of what Paul looked like. And we might assume that this person, because the word is still out there and the descriptions of Paul are still out there, you know, they didn't take pictures of individuals, but they gave verbal descriptions that were quite accurate. And you have this verbal description of what Paul looked like. He was bald, and he was short, and he was bow-legged, and he had a unibrow. He was stocky. He had bad eyesight and a big nose. And so there you go. You've got a bald, unibrowed, short, stocky, bow-legged, big nose, bad eyesight, shaking, trembling individual comes before you, not using any kind of proper fancy words. Paul says, that's how I came to you. And he said, I came to you in the power of the Spirit. Where'd it come from? It wasn't in his presentation. It wasn't in his appearance. It was in the gospel itself. The very way that Paul was able to come change people's lives, you can change people's lives. You can make the gospel known and speak to a person. And just that word in itself, in its message, carries to the person you're speaking to a power that comes from God. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.